We're very pleased today to welcome you to our telecast, The Living Word, and uh, we're so glad to be talking to you today face to face. My topic is Tough Talk for Christians, what Jesus said about salvation. But before I give my presentation, I'm pleased to introduce my wife, Beverly. Would you please welcome her today? Happy Sabbath, everyone. A young boy called Brian had just finished his first year or his only year at kindergarten and was beginning his first day at real school. Now, for the past year, his mother had dropped him off early in the morning and had picked him up at midday. And so he thought he could handle this higher education business. But by about 10.30, he started to feel, feel tired. And when the bell rang at 12 o'clock, he was the first out the door, down the hall and out onto the playground, where he started to run towards the gate and freedom, or so he thought. But one of his teachers saw him and ran after him and said, Brian, where are you going? I'm going home, miss. The bell just rang, so school's finished. But Brian, this is real school now, and it doesn't finish till three o'clock. Didn't anyone tell you? No, miss. And young Brian hung his head in embarrassment and confusion. But after thinking for a moment, he looked up at her and said, please, miss, what I want to know is, who signed me up for the whole day? <laughs> Have you ever felt like Brian and had a day when you felt like throwing your hands up and saying, dear Lord, who signed me up for this? I know I have on more than one occasion, I'm afraid to say. Now, of course, serious things, more serious than getting out of three instead of 12, do happen to all of us from time to time. We can lose our job, our health, our house, and obviously we need to pay attention and do all that we can to make things better. But then there are the smaller annoyances that happen to us every day, perhaps at home, perhaps at work, on the freeway, and we often allow these things to take our time and energy, so much so that our whole vision is focused in on that one small problem. We can even find ourselves becoming angry and depressed. Now, this situation or experience is what I call the microscope syndrome. Now, this is a microscope, and doctors and scientists use it to study some of the smallest things on the planet. But when we have a microscope syndrome in our personal lives, it means that we're focusing in on some small insignificant problem to the point where we can't see the bigger picture. Now, whenever we feel like or feel we're having a touch or getting a touch of the microscope syndrome, we need to escape so that we can take hold of what I like to call the telescope syndrome. Now, when I look through this telescope, what can I see? Ha, huh, ha, huh? just as I thought. I can see the roof of this building, of course. But if I took it outside, I could see the bigger picture. I could even see stars. And by the way, have you seen the fantastic pictures coming back from the Hubble Space Telescope of other galaxies and stars? It's just amazing. But dear friends, when we look at the bigger picture through God's telescope, which is the Bible, things will be put into their proper perspective. 
Now, according to Webster's Dictionary, the term perspective suggests looking through, seeing clearly, the capacity to view things in their true relation of relative importance. When we have God's perspective, we view our lives and evaluate what is important from his viewpoint. I love the writings of the great apostle Paul, firstly because he tells us the way to get to heaven so plainly, and that is we're saved by grace and grace alone. And then in all of his writings, he, he gives such great encouragement to his fellow travelers. This man who had endured so many numerous big and small problems all of his life. And he could say, or he tells us that our fears for today and our worries about tomorrow are forgotten when we remember that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which was demonstrated through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 4, these troubles and sufferings of ours are, after all, quite small and won't last very long. And this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. And so for peace and joy, joy let us encourage each other to keep looking through God's telescope. topic today is tough talk for Christians. What Jesus said about salvation. I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, which starts with a story about seeds and weeds and deeds. Matthew chapter 13. Seeds, weeds, and deeds. Matthew chapter 13 in the Holy Scriptures. Verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, before we go any further, it's interesting that the greatest teacher in the history of the world didn't talk a great deal of theology in the sense that he used a lot of long theological terms. You read a lot of theological terms in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians, but Jesus, as the greatest of all teachers, used very, very few philosophical or theological terms. He spoke about farmers and housewives. He spoke about the things that people could see and relate to. And so here he tells one of the greatest of all stories, Verse 3, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, 
It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. One commentator I was studying this week said, most likely as Jesus was sitting in the boat, he could see a cornfield. Maybe it came right down to the water's edge. And as Jesus saw the cornfield, he saw some hard, beaten down paths where people traveled up and down through the cornfield. That was the first group of people that were represented in this story. A path that's been taken a beating. It's hard, it's solid, it's beaten down. And then as Jesus was looking, because it was most likely a, a hillside, there were lots of rocks. And where the soil was, it was thin over the rocks. So there were rocks just beneath the surface, and the soil itself was very, very thin, shallow. And quite likely as our Lord was watching the scene unfold before his eyes, he saw there a portion of the field that was thick with weeds. And then he saw an area where the soil was deep. And he said, this brought forth 30 times, 60 times, 100 times, many times. What did it represent? It represents, as you and I know, the preaching of the everlasting gospel. I want to ask you, how many classes are here represented by Jesus? How many classes of people are there who hear the gospel? In our splendid church today, we will have four classes of people represented. There will be four classes. There are four classes whenever the gospel is preached. What's the first class? The path, beaten down, Hard. Number two, what is it? Shallow. Shallow. It's rocks beneath the surface. It's shallow. Number three, what is the third class? Thorny, lots of thorns. There's nothing wrong with the soil. It's hard to grow good thorns if you don't have good soil. So this is a class that is represented by lots and lots of thorns. The fourth class, what is it? Good soil. And you can prove it's good soil by one fact. What is it? Hmm? What does the good soil do? It produces lots and lots and lots of fruits. So people who are watching the telecast today and each of us in our church will find ourselves in one of four classes. Those represented by a hard, solid, beaten down path. It's been beaten down for many, many, many years. Number two, the second class is made up of people who 
talk a lot and they receive the gospel with great joy. But the Bible says they have a problem. They're shallow. They're shallow individuals. And number three, there are people who've got lots and lots of thorns in their lives and the thorns are winning the battle. And number four, there is a category where the soil goes down and it's deep and it's great and the water falls upon it and the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, it brings forth a tremendous harvest. We're all here today, one through to four. Keep reading. The disciples came to him, verse 10, and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Ah, before you go any further, does everybody have a knowledge of the gospel? No, not everybody has a knowledge of the gospel because the knowledge of the gospel is revealed to us supernaturally through the Holy Spirit. So some people, a tiny minority, have a knowledge of the gospel, but most people do not understand the truth of the everlasting gospel. And Jesus said the multitude did not understand the gospel. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. Now, can anybody here comprehend this? How do we understand this? How can you take away from a person who has nothing at all? Jesus said, the person who has grace or the gospel will receive more. So if you have the gospel and if the grace of God is in your soul today and if you open your heart to God, you're going to receive more. But if you don't have the gospel, everything that you've got is going to be taken away from you. So what is the most important thing, my friend, that we can experience today? What's the most important thing in the universe? What's the most important thing in the world? It is the gospel. It is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible calls it the gospel of the kingdom. So please read on. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. This verse has been for many, many people perplexing and a great mystery. If you want to understand it, you must understand the context of those words originally. They were spoken to the most religious people in the world. 
the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And Jesus said about those people, they were always hearing, but never hearing. They were always seeing, but never seeing. Did you know that hearing the word of God can be bad for you? It will be bad for you if you do not see and if you do not hear and if you do not perceive. Because the gospel of Christ either makes a person much better or much worse after that person has heard it. And that is why some of the worst people in the history of the world have been people who have been religious. So here are people and they see but they don't see they hear, but they don't hear, and their hearts are calloused. What does Jesus mean by having a calloused heart? How on earth, my friend, do you get a callous? How does one get a callous on his hands? Mm-hmm. By resistance. Resistance. And resistance pushing some other way that you work your hands will eventually build a callus. If a person hears the truth of God but resists the truth of God, his heart becomes calloused. The most dangerous place to be in Los Angeles on this Sabbath morning is in church. The most wonderful place to be in Los Angeles this Sabbath morning is in church. But it's the most dangerous place because if the true gospel is being preached from this stage here at 100 Duarte Road, Arcadia, if the true gospel is being preached, if it is going into my soul and if I am being saved by it, I am most blessed. But if I am sitting here and I'm saying, I don't understand a word of this. The fault is not with God. The fault is with us because we are resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus spoke about his professed followers, millions of them, that they saw, but they didn't see. They were listening with their ears, but they could not understand the word of God. This is not predestination that God had said, these people are going to be lost because I choose them to be lost. This was because of their attitude of rejecting the word of God. Please read on. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. It has been my privilege, as some of you know, 
to preach around the world to several million people. I mean face to face. In Russia alone, I've had the privilege of talking face to face with three million people. I've also in other places talked face to face with tens of thousands, even millions of people in Africa and other parts of the world. I can bear testimony today that what the Lord said here concerning the hearers is absolutely correct. The first hearer is the person who comes into a meeting. He may have been brought up in a religious home, but when the gospel is preached, it is an incomprehensible mystery. And his mind in church, if he is in church, is on a thousand things. His heart is as hard as a path that has been beaten down by the years of sin. This leads to the great theological question. Has God ordained that there be four classes and their fate is fixed for eternity or is Jesus simply describing the condition as it really is because of people's attitudes and decisions. And I believe the latter is true. A heart can become as hard as a rock, as hard as a path, much harder than the surface of this stage. A person has heard it so Often we say that person is gospel hardened and the most impassioned plea from the greatest preacher seems not to touch the person. And the Bible tells us that Satan who never sleeps is waiting to snatch away the word that was sown. And so after the sermon, the heart is just as hard. What needs to be done to that person with a heart as heart as a path? It needs to be broken up. And that is why God sometimes sends suffering and pain and heartache and bereavement because it is the desperate actions of a loving God to bring us to our senses and to break up our hard hearts. Our hearts are naturally in a hard condition without the grace of God. You've heard it said, she is so hard. You've heard it said, he is such a hard, unforgiving person, but he is an elder in the church. Yes, I know. He is the pastor. Yes, I know. He is the leader, ah, but he's hard. Titles don't count anything for God. So the first class is a person whose heart, whose heart is hard because of the pounding effects of sin over the years. There's only one thing that can save such a person and that is the supernatural act of God that that person will respond to whereby the hard heart is broken up. You see, you can never get seed into concrete. It's got to be, the surface has got to be broken. Please read on. Verse 20, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word 
and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. These words describe our age more than anything that has ever been written. It describes the age of our blessed Lord and it describes our age. This describes the person who comes to church but never reads his Bible. This describes the person who never takes time for family worship, who never reads the word. He is what we call a shallow, superficial person. We live in an age that I think is a thousand times more superficial than the age that Jesus spoke to. We have everything in the world today and particularly in North America to produce shallow people. Television perhaps is the greatest of all culprits. It has been discovered that people who watch a lot of television, movies, and soaps actually suffer from a change in the brain. And they lose the capacity to pray and to think the thoughts of God. In fact, they almost become, as far as God is concerned, brain dead. They're shallow. We have a society that produces this. We're all in danger of this. Television commercials are produced basically by shallow people for shallow people. We teach people to concentrate for the most for 30 seconds, but talk about the Protestant Reformation and the Council of Trent and the great truths that have made God's church what it is today and the great prophecies of the Bible, and they say, no, don't give us this. We want funny stories. We want funny stories in church. We don't come to church to study the Word. We want funny stories, and we want funny pastors. And their judgment comes upon them by the production of shallow people. You know, even some seminars that people attend not all, I'm sure, but many seminars that people tell on successful salesmanship produces shallowness. They are taught, taught to do what we call hype. And they can take something of no consequences and so twist it and simply they verbalize and they talk and they talk and they talk. has been said in the Western world, Christianity is a mile wide and this deep. And so the Bible tells me when the person who is shallow hears the word of God, he quickly responds. The soil gets down and it grows very, very fast. But when any trouble comes at all, any problem in the church, any problem in the home, any difficulty, the person is gone. And the danger signal can sometimes be when a person accepts with such quickness, it shows that he's never thought it through. Because if he goes next door to this church on our side or goes to this church on that side, and they call this church row where we are, 
Whatever he hears first will get his attention and that he will accept. There is no struggling of soul to find the truth and to understand what Jesus is talking about. It's simply like going to a sale where people are being taught to sell some product that nobody wants anyhow. And as you know, there are a vast number of people who are running these programs who are simply making money out of those who are gullible through pyramid building. Producers, shallowness. It is completely opposed to the doctrine of Christ when you think how Martin Luther struggled for years to find Christ. And then somebody can walk into a meeting without even opening a Bible and the preacher says, I want you to believe in God and you're saved. Yes, I believe. But there's no change in the life. There's still a smoker, still a drinker, still a lawbreaker, shallowness. And as far as God is concerned, it counts for nothing. Even though the seed has gone in, it has gone into shallow soil. And if Jesus is right, some of us to whom this sermon is being uttered today, some of us will be in this category. You can tell whether you're in this category or not by asking yourself the question, how much time have I spent this week with the Lord in Bible study? And if you can say, no, I have not opened my Bible because you don't understand my situation, I would say, I do not understand it, but the Lord does. And the Lord has judged you as being shallow. And in time of test, you will fall away. This church had a great person whose name was Alan White, and Alan White made a statement once that only those who fortified their minds with the truths of God's word will stand through the last great conflict. She was not a shallow person. Verse 22, the one who received the seed that fell among thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. There is nothing wrong here, my dearly beloved friends, with the soil. There is nothing wrong with the seed because the seed grows forth and it is bringing forth a harvest. But something else has got into the soil Jesus said the cares of this life and the deceitfulness or the lust for money. We live today, I tell you, in the most materialistic age in the history of the world. And people today, almost everybody will do anything to make money. And so they will spend their time 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day, 16 hours a day, making a living, but they should be preparing for a dying. Let me say this, and this is a tough talk for Christians that Jesus told us about. Examine yourselves, my brethren, and see if you be in the holy faith. What comes first in your life? Your business or God? I have had the experience of baptizing people. 
but today they are no longer at church because they are working on the Lord's holy day, knowing it is the Lord's holy day. For what reason? I don't have enough money. I want more. As I told the folks on Tuesday about the man who starred in a movie, his name was Johnny Rocco. He was a criminal. And somebody in the movie said to him, Johnny, what do you want? He said, more. What do you want? He said, oh, I don't know. I just want more. We never have enough, you see. The carnal heart never has enough. And therefore people are motivated and they are driven for more. For this reason, mothers can no longer stay at home and bring up their children. They want more. We have today the greatest delinquency rate in the history of the world. Why? Because people want more. Everywhere we see it, the words of Johnny Rocco, more, we want more. I ask you today in the fear of God, are you in category one, two, or three? The three is where the person has no time for God. No time for Sabbath school. I will go to church when it suits me. That may be so, but be sure of one thing, you will not go to heaven because it will not suit God. There are parents who say, I have children and I love my children. Oh, I can cry for my children. I love them so much. Do you bring them to Sabbath school? No, I don't bring them. Why not? Well, it, I have other things to do. Do not say you love your children. You hate your children. What greater hate can there be than to condemn children to damnation. And children brought up without the fear and the knowledge of God have their opportunity of salvation greatly diminished. You may say, but this is too tough. Do not find fault with me. Find fault with your Lord. If you would find fault, Shallow people, people whose lives are filled with thorns. No, I cannot keep the Sabbath. No, I cannot read my Bible. No, I cannot do what God tells me to do because I have business. And Jesus said, the seed of the gospel is choked by greed and materialism. Please read on. Verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Matthew Henry, perhaps the greatest of all commentators who paved the way for the Wesleyan revival, said, 
There is nothing more dangerous in the history of the world than to sit in church under the preaching of the gospel and to harden one's heart. Here is the final category where the person receives the word, it goes down into good soil and it produces a harvest. If God were to judge you and me today on the harvest of our lives, I ask you, how would he find us? You see, Jesus here is not talking lots of theology. Jesus is getting down to the grassroots. He's getting down to where it counts. And that is the reception of the heart to Christ through the preaching of the gospel and the opening up of our hearts to the Holy Spirit. The people to whom Jesus spoke were the greatest religionists and they could talk theology up this way, down this way, back this way and that way, but they did not produce the fruits of righteousness. That is why the Bible tells me that I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but I am judged by my works because the works demonstrate whether I am a true believer or whether I am a phony. This is what the Bible teaches. So which category, I ask you today, in the fear of God, do you find yourself in number one, two, three, or four? Please read on. Verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat, bring it in, into my barn. What a great story. So, sowing wheat, when everybody's sleeping, the enemy, the devil, and his representatives are sowing tares. And when they first start growing, they look pretty much the same. Nobody can tell the difference. But soon you've got wheat and tares together. And the zealous members of the church board come to our blessed Lord and they say, will we kick these people out of the church. And Jesus says, you can't tell. Only I can tell who is a weed. Only I can tell who is a tear. Only I can tell what is good because I read the hearts of men. What does this story, pray tell me, represent? Please read it in your Bible. Verse 37, he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. 
And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all that do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. You all know the story of the man who was looking for the perfect church. He said, I'm looking for, I haven't found it yet. His friend said to him, when you find it, don't join it because then it will no longer be perfect. Jesus said here that in the church, which is the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth, did you hear that? The church is the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth. If that is so, then why do so many people disrespect the church? Why do so many people say, the church, it's only the church. I worship God alone. That's a sort of a cop-out. The church is the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God. He who despises the church despises Christ. So here in the church, you got good and you got bad. In the church of God, you're going to have the best and the worst. That's how it works. Why the worst? Because the worst are the people who've heard the gospel and they've hardened their hearts. And so when you join a church, you'll be discouraged if you look at the church members because you'll look at so-and-so and you'll say, he's a hypocrite. He may be, but so may you be. We leave it to God. Good and bad will stay in the church until Jesus comes. And we should leave the judging to God. Now, open sin needs to be dealt with. But you and I cannot judge the hearts of men and women. On occasions, we have folks in the church who are difficult to get along with. I am on occasions. That's because I'm pastoring you. <laughs> Listen. In the church, there are people who rub you up the wrong way. There are people who are pains. Jesus said, it's going to be so. There are people who are self-righteous. There are people you wouldn't choose to be shipwrecked with on a desert island. But God isn't finished with those people. 
They may make it to the kingdom of God when some of us will not make it. So we don't cast people out of the church because the Lord knows the heart and the God whom we serve is in the business of saving souls. And when Jesus comes, there's a judgment day. The Bible says, he says to the angels, gather them in bundles. Matthew Henry, this the greatest of all commentators I was reading last night, he said, there's going to be a bundle of atheists, a bundle, he says, of epicures. I'd almost forgotten what that meant. An epicure is a person who is a lover of food. A bundle of epicures. And he said, a great bundle of hypocrites. When I read these parables, I say to myself, the Bible is inspired. Jesus is the Son of God because he reads our condition. Nobody else has read our condition like our Lord. Please read on. Verse 31, he told them another parable. Verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, little, 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 which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Look at me. The gospel, when it starts in our hearts, is only tiny. So when a person starts in the Christian faith, don't be hard on him. He's only got a little bit. But he's a child of God. And the Bible, so you don't want to come to people and say, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to fix this up. Hey, maybe you should fix yourself up. But the Bible says the gospel, even though it starts in a little way, it's got the power of God in it. And it can grow and grow into a tremendous tree that gives food and life for a multitude of people. So you may feel today you got a long way to go. We all have. But let me tell you something. The seed of the gospel received by faith will grow and grow and grow in you until you become a great plant of righteousness. Read on. It talks about it being supernatural. Verse 33, he told them yet another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed it into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Listen to me. If today, by the grace of God, we open up our hearts. That's, Shakespeare said, that's the rub. Be willing to open up our hearts. Let the rough, hard soil be broken up. Let a little seed in there. It's going to grow. It's like the yeast. A little bit in the flour, it gets all the way through. It permeates every molecule. If you and I 
Open up our hearts. Thank you. If you and I open up our hearts to the Spirit of God and let a little bit of the divine power get in our hearts, our whole lives will be filled with the glory of God. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it except our perverse wills where we say, I'm not going to do it. And pride. You know what the greatest hindrance to the gospel is? Pride. Self-sufficiency. Where I don't feel my need of the grace of God. We are all naturally proud. That's why the Lord sends us trouble. To try to break up the hard heart. Read on. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Let me ask you folks something. How much does it cost here today to become a saved believer? How much does it cost? What's the price today? It's free. That's the paradox. It's completely free. But you know how much it costs? person must sell everything he has. Jesus is the treasure. He's hidden in the field. Have you found him? When you find him, you'll sell everything to get him. He's the pearl. The pearl of great price. What does the merchantman do? He sells everything. This means that when I find Christ, or better still, when Christ finds me, I will withhold nothing in my life for Christ. Thus the argument is finished that says, I will follow Christ on my terms. I will follow Christ, but I reserve the right to keep the Sabbath if it's convenient, to go to church if it suits me, to pay my tithe if I can afford it. And we could multiply examples. Jesus says that when a person finds the gospel of Christ, it is so precious and so important. Now listen to this. It becomes the one important thing in his life. If your job is the most important thing in your life, you're not in the grace of God. If your career is the most important thing in your life, you're either in category one, two, three, certainly not in four. When a person finds Christ, 
The gospel is revealed to him by a special revelation of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is number one. That is the consuming passion of his life. And the things of Christ are the most important. God's church. God's holy day. God's holy tithe. God's holy work. Evangelism. As you've heard me say, whatever gets your attention gets you. If your work gets your attention, it'll get you. If Christ gets your attention, he'll get you. A great professor, Professor Bruce of Manchester University, wrote a book entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus. These are some of them. Many are called, few are chosen. We are not lost because God has predestined us to be lost. It rests with us to respond to the call of Christ. And when all the sermons have been finished, and all the manip manipulations of the mind are over and all the self-justifications. And all the seminars have been run. There remains the judgment. And we shall be judged by the gospel and our response to the gospel. That is why Jesus was crucified because of these teachings. And today he comes to you and to me and he taps us on the shoulder and he says those words that he said in the long ago. He who has ears, let him hear. Amen. Amen. Songs of praise He glorified Jehovah as his king, a giant slayer, some sayer, for the God of Jacob set apart a joy bringer. A psalm singer, yeah, yeah, a man after God's own heart. The boy became a ruler, anointed for the throne, and though he sinned, he never turned away. The Lord forgave his servant. He smiled upon his own. For the God of David is 
a God of grace to the giant slayer, the psalm sayer, for the God of Jacob set apart a joy bringer. A psalm singer, yeah, yeah. God called him a man after his own heart. And from his seed would come a savior, a light unto the nations, he would be. And from his line would come our ruler, the king of our salvation, Jesus Christ is he. Make me a giant slayer. A psalm savior for the God of Jacob set apart, oh Lord. A psalm savior, a giant slayer. God, make me a man after your own heart. Lord, make me a man after your own heart. A man after your own heart.